Well, good morning again, Chillicothe Bible Church. If you're wherever you're joining us from, I know we've got folks from across the country and various places that tune in and watch this. And we're glad that you are joining with us in worship. Uh, this is not our preference. This is not our our choice about how we would choose to worship God uh, this morning. There are uh, community aspects of what we're doing here this morning that are missing, and we, we recognize that. Uh, but at the same time, we are eager to worship the Lord here this morning. We are eager to give Him praise because He is worthy, because He is our God, and He is carrying us through these circumstances. Uh, despite uh, all that is going on, we continue to trust Him uh, because he still loves us and he is still good. Uh, I read this morning in my Bible reading that I do, uh, take heart, you are worth more than many sparrows, and yet not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father. And God does love us, even in the midst of this, even in the midst of uh, tragedy and calamity, God loves us. And so with that in mind, I'd like to invite us all to pray again this morning. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, even the hairs of our heads are numbered, that the stars in the sky are not some nameless collection, but that you call them all by name, and yet you know each individual one of us from before we are born. You know us. And Father, we thank you that you love us that well. Uh, that you know when we sit, you know when we lie down, you know where we are at all times, and you know us intimately. You know everything there is to know about us, and you love us. So much so that you sent your son to die on the cross for us and to be raised from the dead to give us new life. And Father, I pray this morning, I pray for our community, for our state, for our nation, for our world. Our fondest prayer this morning, Father, is for a quick and merciful end to all of this suffering that is going on around the world. As people lose their jobs, as people are sick, as people even die uh, from this pandemic, Father, we pray for your mercy. Uh, we pray that we would continue to trust you and to lean on you through this, uh, that if we have spent uh, some portion of our life before now wandering away from you, Father, that you would draw us back. Help us, Father, to trust you through this and to seek your face, uh, knowing that at the throne of grace there is mercy and grace to help us in a time of great need and at every other time also. And, Father, I pray this morning that, uh, that your word will speak, uh, not that... I am a great communicator, for I am not. But that your word would speak to your people and give them encouragement and help in a time of need. That by your Holy Spirit, Father, your people would be drawn nearer to you. And that you would cause them to grow in Christ and to walk in a way that is pleasing to him. And Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name and by your Holy Spirit's power. Amen. Well, uh, we are in the book of Colossians, and 
the book of Colossians is a book, as I said last week, that is written uh, to people by a man who is under house arrest. And these are people he has never met. And so this is a book which speaks in, in some way to our immediate situation. As many of us find ourselves for the first time in our lives and hopefully the last under a form of house arrest where we can't really leave, we can't really do much, and we are um, struggling, many of us, with that. Uh, but this book is written to people who are far distant uh, from its author, who are in need of encouragement because they are isolated and they are a small group of people and they need encouragement and instruction from God's word. And I believe that when we are isolated from one another, that we also need encouragement from God's word. And so if you, uh, have, if you have a Bible, uh, I'd encourage you to turn over to the book of Colossians in the New Testament. Uh, we're going to look at a really beautiful prayer that Paul prays for the Colossian people. And we're gonna, going to understand from it some things that we can uh, not only... Uh, that. Paul prayed for them, but that we can pray for each other. Many times, if you're part of a church or, or, or even just with a good friend, you wind up kind of sharing whatever the immediate need is, like, oh, I really want to get this promotion at work, or I really hope in a time like this I don't get laid off, or I really hope that I don't get sick, or I hope that nobody else in my circle of relationships becomes ill uh, and so we just need to pray for that we need to pray for this person's cancer that person's surgery and those things are all important they all matter the god who who counts when sparrows fall to the ground is certainly a god who cares about us when we suffer and when we have things going on in our lives that are less serious than this and certainly he cares now when things are very serious. But there are also other things, spiritual things, eternal things, that we need to remember to pray for one another too because this world is not going to last forever. What is going to last forever are the souls of men and women. And God also cares about them and he cares about the things that affect your soul and mine. And so uh, we have this beautiful prayer, verses 9 to 14, here in the, the book of Colossians in chapter 1. Uh, I'm going to begin reading in uh, verse 9, and I'll read all the way through the, the passage. Uh, but if you look at it with me, beginning verse 9, this is what God's word says. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, if you look back 
At the text uh, earlier in the chapter, in verse 3 of this same chapter, Colossians 1, uh, you'll see Paul rejoicing over the church every time that he prays for them, as he regularly does. And what this section of Scripture does for us is it reveals the content of those prayers. In verse 3, we see that he prays. Uh, in, in these verses, we see what he prays. And in verses 9 and 10, we see the first thing that Paul prays for is for their spiritual growth. And if you look at it closely, you'll see that spiritual growth begins with a person who is filled with the knowledge of God's will. Well, how does that happen? How do we understand what God's will is? Uh, the short answer is, is that the Bible reveals it to us. In fact, there are literally dozens of places in the Bible where it says explicitly, this is God's will concerning you. But there are also lots of places where we're given commands. And if you understand what a command is, it is where God says, do this. And in some cases, do not do that. Those things also are revelations of God's will to us. And the slightly longer answer to that question of how do we understand and know what God's will is, is that we are filled with the knowledge of God's will as we are in submission to the Holy Spirit. And then he transforms our thinking as we take in God's word. Whenever you read the Bible with a heart that is eager to know God, and by the way, note what I said there. It's not whenever you read the Bible. It's whenever you read the Bible with a heart that is eager to know God. That is not the same thing. Because many people can read the Bible, but you need to read with a heart that is eager to know God and eager to follow the instruction that you find there. And what happens as you do that, if you are a Christian who is filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit works to renew your mind. And he enables you to think God's thoughts after him. That's what the scripture contains, are God's thoughts. And when we read with a heart eager to know him, we think God's thoughts after him. And over time, your thinking will start to converge and align with God's. His has not changed, but yours will. And it will start to align itself with God. And that is the beginning of spiritual growth. As that continues, you start to do this according to the text, that you start to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. That is, as your understanding of God's will grows, you start living in obedience to his will as revealed by his word and through the Spirit's empowerment so that your life begins to change from one where you live in rebellion against God to one in which you walk with God. Now, many people get this backwards, and please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. The Bible does not ever say anywhere, clean up your life and then come to God. It says to, it says to you, come to God and he will clean up your life. And, and so don't misunderstand what I am saying that you start to walk in a manner worthy of God as you grow to understand who he is 
and what his will for your life is. You grow and you begin to develop an understanding of what that means. And you begin to live that way as you're empowered by the Holy Spirit in response to trying to obey God's word and what it says to you. And as you begin to do that, according to the text here, again, look at it. It says, bearing fruit in every good work. Your good works then start to become common features of your life. And in addition to that, it says, increasing in the knowledge of God, that your relational, experiential knowledge of God continues to grow because you have lived more of your life with him. Now, I can't do it in the way that I like to, but I love hanging out with our, our seasoned saints and our fellowship. The, the folks who have known the Lord for generations, who have walked with him for years and years and years, and who, when they tell me, I pray for you every day, I know that they do. Their good works become just part of who they are. And their knowledge of God has gone deep because they know him. They don't know about him. They know him. They walk with him. They understand who he is. And by the way, let me be very clear here. What is being described is the normal Christian life. This is the norm. This is, this is standard stuff. This is what happens to every person who comes to faith in Jesus in a genuine way as they pursue their relationship with God. This is what happens. That they come to an understanding of the knowledge of God's will and then they begin to walk in a manner that's pleasing to the Lord and then they begin to bear fruit and then they grow in their knowledge of who God is. Christians are meant to be like fruit trees. I have a couple in my yard. One of them is alive and the other is dead. Now, I have high hopes for the one that is alive. That there will be fruit this year. I do not have similar hopes for the one that is dead. And my point in bringing this up is this. If things that are alive both grow and produce fruit... And if your life is not producing fruit, it is because you have not yet experienced the indwelling, living presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Or, alternatively, you may have just walked away from him and quenched the Holy Spirit's presence in your life because you've refused to listen to what he's saying. And if that's the case, you need to... Come to Jesus and confess your sin and be restored. But this is the normal Christian life, that, it, that you grow from an understanding of God's will to walking in a way that's pleasing, to bearing fruit, to knowing God in a deep way. So Paul prays for their growth. So what should we do for one another? Pray for each other's growth. Amen? Makes total sense. 
And he also, we also see something else in addition. He prays in verses 11 and 12 that their faith might be strong, patient, enduring, joyful, and thankful. Look at the text again there in verse 11. It begins, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. This prayer is a request that by God's indwelling Holy Spirit, his omnipotent power would give us strength. His omnipotent power. That's a, a you know, 50 cent theological word that means that God is able to do anything he wills, which is consistent with his nature and also possible. In other words, God can do anything which is, which is both possible and consistent with who he is as God. So he can't lie. He can't create an infinite rock because it ceases to be a rock if it has no dimensions, right? You can't do the, he cannot do that which is logically impossible and he can't do that which is evil. But anything else he can do. He has all power. And Paul asked that that, that omnipotent power would give strength uh, to all of us. And I don't think that God, that Paul intends here for God to help us all build our biceps, as helpful as that might be in some cases. Uh, but he is explaining what the purpose for that strength is in the next line. Do you see it there? It says, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. It is easy for a Christian and for a new or immature Christian especially to falter in their new faith. It's easy. It happens. But Paul is praying that God's strength would help them to endure. And he also prays that God's strength would supply them with patience. Is it hard to be patient? Yes, it's hard. And by the way, I'm not talking about the kind of patience that is required to wait in line at Kroger right now, although that is a challenge. I'm not talking, and, and Paul is not talking about the kind of patience that's required to endure to the end of this, however long this is. He's talking about the kind of patience that endures through suffering. The kind that does not give up your faith, but continues to trust God when you're not sure what he's doing. The kind of faith that is patient to wait on God's timing and God's deliverance according to his plan and to say, Lord, I trust you and I don't know how this is all going to work out, but I trust you and I love you and I'm going to follow you and wait on you to reveal to me what I need to know to take the next step. That's the kind of patience he has in mind. He has, the kind of, he has the kind in mind that when a loved one is sick and doesn't seem to be getting better, that when your spouse abandons you 
when you and your beloved child or your best friend are estranged from one another, that when your soul cries out to God in those circumstances that you patiently endure and wait. You say, I will, I will like Habakkuk, sit and wait for his answer. And I will pray and I will seek the Lord and I will trust him in the middle of that. You need God's strength to be patient in those circumstances. Yes, you do. You absolutely do. And in many others like them besides. It's easy for impatience to give way to discouragement. It really is. And so we need God's strength to supply patience. And he also prays that God's strength might come to us with joy and giving thanks to the Father. Did you catch that? I've said it before, but it's worth saying again that the Christian life is not meant to be a forced march by which we grit our teeth until glory comes. That is not God's intention for us. That is not his plan for us that we would just kind of, and just kind of grunt our way through life. That is not the plan. The plan is, is that the presence of the Holy Spirit would give us joy regardless of the circumstances that we are in. Because we know who holds us in our circumstances and we know that he loves us. And so we are not counting on things in this world turning out all the way that we want. In fact, in spite of the fact that many things in this world will not turn out the way that we want, we are trusting God and we rejoice in him because he is our ultimate treasure. We trust him and we do so joyfully by God's strength. And we also give thanks to the Father that our joy overflows into thankfulness. that we actually are thankful to God, even in tough times, for what he has done for us. That we give him praise, that we look to him and celebrate what he has given to us. These things require God's strength. You bet they do. That's why Paul prays that God in his omnipotent, Glorious power would supply by his strength these things to them. And as we pray for each other, we will need to pray for God's strength to supply these things. These are not the natural way that any of us respond. But by God's strength, we can. And by the way, what is our joy and our thankfulness to God based on? Look at the last line of verse 12. Look at what it says there. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. In other words, our joy and our thanksgiving is based not on our present circumstances, whatever they are, good or bad, 
but they are based on something that is eternal that God has supplied and which will outlast all of our temporary circumstances, whatever they are, good or bad. And, what, and the thing that outlasts them all is the fact that we have an eternal inheritance. An eternal inheritance. I got an inheritance a, a couple of times uh, when I had grandparents that passed away. Uh, I inherited my great-grandfather's Bible. I inherited my grandfather's uh, muzzleloader. I inherited... Uh, some money from one grandmother when she passed. I inherited a table and a cookie jar from another grandmother. And these are wonderful things, and I treasure them. But one day, all these things will pass away. And my life will pass away, and, and I will not look back with fondness on these things anymore. And the reason why is because the temporary will be replaced by the eternal inheritance that we have. The eternal inheritance with the saints. In other words, and by the way, who are the saints? It's all of us. All of us who are believers in Jesus Christ are the saints. And all of us will be together again. Even those who have died, even those who have died generations and millennia past, we will all be together. And we will receive the inheritance of the saints. We will be with the Father who loves us. And we will dwell together in his house. I love that image. I love that image. I, I live about four hours from my father's house. But I love when we all get together. I love going to my father-in-law's house. And when we all get together. And all the, all the grandkids and cousins are together. And we're all together. But that is a pale imitation of what we will experience in our Heavenly Father's house. We will share in the inheritance of the saints. We will celebrate together in a place where there is no suffering, where there is no death, where sickness is no more, where we won't even get gray hair. And what we have will not fall out which is important to a guy my age. We will not ever grow old. And the promise of the prophets will be true that each person will sit in peace under their own fig tree and in the shade of their own vine. And no one will make us afraid anymore. There'll be nothing to make us afraid. That is the inheritance of the saints. And we are going there. Because the Father has qualified us. How did he do that? Well, look at verse 13 and 14 again. What does the scripture say? He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and delivered us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption 
the forgiveness of sins. I love this description of rescue here in verse 13, that we who were once held captive and enslaved to sin and death and to a life that ends in hell, we who were subjects of Satan's kingdom of darkness that rules over this world with all of its pain and suffering and calamity and poverty and death, we who were part of that have been rescued. We have been delivered. God the Father has rescued us. And how did he do that? By making us citizens of a quite different kingdom. The kingdom of his beloved son. In which we will live in his light. In the light of Him in whom there is no darkness at all, where death is dead, where pain ends, where sin is conquered, where hell's gates are eternally barred to those who are in Christ Jesus. We have been rescued. And all these things happen because in Jesus God's beloved son, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And I love that word redemption. It's a, it's a word from the ancient slave market. And it's hard for us even to imagine that this is a reality that, that still exists in some places in the world today and used to exist even in this country where you could go downtown to the market and you could buy hogs and ducks and chickens, and sheep, and cattle, and then there would be the slave barn. Where you could buy yourself a human being that you then owned and ordered around. And if you redeemed someone from slavery, what you did is you went and paid the price to buy them from the market. And then you turned them loose. And that is what Jesus has done. He has taken and paid the penalty for our sin that held us in slavery to sin and death and hell and with his blood set us free. Set us free. We've been redeemed. And as a result, we are citizens of heaven forever and ever. Now, men and women, boys and girls, one of the movies that I have been enjoying watching, I've watched it now probably a dozen times, but I watched it again uh, this last week as we're under quarantine, is The Count of Monte Cristo. I love it. It tells the story of a man who, through a, a complex set of circumstances, winds up imprisoned unjustly. And suffering unbelievable torment in a prison where no one even knows his name. Where no one knows that he is enslaved. And then one day light comes in from the outside. As the man of God comes, invades his cell, and points the way to a new life. And through the man of God... He is given the way to find 
fabulous treasure and a new life and escape from the prison. And I won't hold you in suspense. Does he get out? You bet he does. And when he gets out, his life is transformed. He finds the treasure that the man of God directed him to. His life is transformed. He who was literally wearing the only rags that he owned all of a sudden becomes the Count of Monte Cristo. And he finds a treasure beyond imagination. And his, all the evil of his life is undone through the treasure that he has found. And he lives many long years in joy and peace. And it's a story that I love because it contains in it echoes of our own story. Because we who were before we knew Jesus, we were locked in the prison. Only unlike the Count of Monte Cristo, we deserved to be there. Our sins had imprisoned us to sin and death and hell. Until the man of God came, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, invaded our cell and pointed us to how to find a new life. And he set us free. And our life has been transformed. It is not transformed entirely yet, but one day, we will dwell as kings and queens in a heavenly kingdom set free from sin and death. And we will enjoy the treasure that God has given to us in Christ. We have been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved son. We have redemption. We are set free. We get to live for uncountable years in peace and joy. And that reality is meant to give us joy now and to make us thankful to God even now because he has enabled all these things by his great love and his unsurpassed power. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the story of our redemption. That we have been transformed and transferred out of that and into the glorious inheritance of the saints of God, members of God's own family. It's an amazing thing. And if you knew, for example, that that 2020 you were going to go through all of this many of us would have looked for an island to go live on maybe just kind of survive the year away from everybody preferably one that has about 85 degrees and a nice sandy beach right but if you knew that as you went through it at the end of it there was going to be a fabulous treasure that you would inherit. 
Wouldn't you be joyful anyway? Can I submit to you that if 2020 doesn't go very well and 2021 is worse and the years beyond that, you go, man, I never knew how good I had it in 2019. That we can still be joyful and we can still be thankful because at the end of it all is a fabulous treasure that we can't even imagine. We can't even imagine. So at a time like this, we need to be praying for one another. And we need to be praying for things like healing. We need to be praying for things like new jobs for those who are facing losses. Uh, we need to pray for God's protection over our communities, for our country, and for our world. I've never seen anything like this where the entire world is shut down and trying to stop this, the spread of a plague. But there's a lot of, also, of, of other eternally important things we also need to pray for each other things which will endure long beyond our present circumstances and so i want to invite you to join me in praying these things for each other uh, as well the things that we see in this passage i want you to join me in praying for each other's growth in maturity so that all of us would be filled with the knowledge of God's will and live lives that are fully pleasing to him. Because they're bearing fruit in every good deed and they're growing in the knowledge of God. I want you to join me in praying that for each other. Join me also in praying for God's strength to give all of us, all of us, Endurance and patience and joy and thankfulness to God our Father who gave us by grace an eternal inheritance with him. And lastly, join me in praying for joyful, thankful lives for all of us that are built on the reality of the treasure we have received through Jesus' forgiveness and redemption for his from his transference of us from the domain of darkness into his own kingdom, the kingdom of God's beloved son. That we would be able to go through this circumstance and every other circumstance our life encounters and includes with joy and thankfulness, knowing that at the end of it all, I'm going to enter into a life which I have never known and cannot imagine. I hath not seen, ear hath not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. And one day, we're going there. And one day, we are going to see it. As sure as I'm standing here, we are going to see it. We're going to cross over Jordan and into the promised land where God himself lives. And we will be with him forever and ever and with one another forever and ever. And nothing of the pain of this world will ever enter into that. So as Jesus said, 
to his disciples just before he went to the cross. Take heart, little flock. Do not be afraid. It is God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, I thank you that it has been your good pleasure to give us the kingdom and to give us your word, which gives us light from the outside about the man of God who came into a dark cell of our sin and suffering and pointed the way to a new life and provided it, bought it with his blood that we might all enjoy it forever. And Father, I pray for our our community and our country and our world. I pray for relief from suffering. I pray for healing from sickness. I pray for your mighty power and great goodness and grace to become known in, in every country of the world. I pray, Father, that uh, you would cause the hearts of the fathers to turn to their children and the children to the fathers. That you would bring about repentance and restoration. That many people would come to know Jesus for the first time. And that those who have wandered from him would come back. That those who know him would know him better for having gone through this. Father, we can accomplish none of this. But we ask these things because by your mighty power and according to your great love, you can accomplish every single one without breaking a sweat. And so, Father, we ask boldly, seeking your grace and your mercy. And we pray in Jesus' name and by your Holy Spirit's power. Amen.